Our guest today really needs no introduction. Let me just welcome legendary prog drummer Mike Portnoy. Thanks, Mike, for being here. Hey, how you doing, man? Thank you. All right. So again, man, it's a real pleasure to have you here, real honor. You must be in a quarter of my CD collection. <laughs> Sorry about that. Which is an amazing thing, and you've become sort of the face of prog rock or prog metal in the last 10 or so years, and how do you feel about being sort of the guy at this stage of this this whole genre, really? Well, it comes down to the fact that I'm a fan just like everybody else, and I guess once I started to have some success and notoriety and, uh, you know, I guess, quote-unquote, power... In in you know in the music world, I wanted to use it to to help this genre, you know, and that's always been kind of my um, my quest. You know, I've always carried the flag for prog, and all those years with Dream Theater, you know, I, I always uh, you know tried my best and to do whatever I could to help out other bands that maybe didn't have the exposure that I was getting with Dream Theater. So all those years with Dream Theater, I always handpicked the opening band and tried to give them the exposure and you know started in the 90s with uh, taking fate's warning out and then uh, you know later on taking out spark's beard and then taking out pain of salvation and porcupine tree <laughs> uh you know these are all bands that that i handpicked and brought out with dream theater to give them some recognition then later on came uh you know when i put together the progressive nation tours and took out bands like big elf and scale the summit um you know, basically, it's always been uh, something that I've wanted to do to help the genre and kind of carry the flag because, you know, this genre can't rely on mainstream radio and mainstream press and magazines. So, you know, once the Internet came around and, and became such a great tool for this, this, you know, kind of music, I wanted to do whatever I could to continue to move it forward. Yeah, and I think you've done an, an amazing job. Do you feel like maybe it's an advantage to be in a genre like this as opposed to trying to compete with uh, like the pop genres and, and radio airplay and things like that nowadays with internet and everything? Well, I think at first it was a, a detriment. You know, I, I think at first it, it worked against a band like Dream Theater. Like, you know, when we came out, we were like um, square pegs and yeah. uh, we were the absolute opposite of everything that was popular and everything that was accessible in the mainstream. Uh, but once we got over that hurdle and that obstacle, you know, it kind of ended up being a good thing because it made us stand out and it gave us um, our own audience to work with. And we weren't kind of at the mercy of all of these other more mainstream bands and getting bunk, you know, getting kind of bunched in with them. It kind of helped us stand out. And, uh, you know, we had the... the um, the benefit of being one of the few bands that were signed to a major label, I guess we were very fortunate in that respect that we got a major label deal that gave us that um, that outlet, you know, right. and that yeah. that's be thank you know that's a, a big thank you to Derek Oliver for taking that chance and getting us there. And uh, you know, once we had that outlet, it, you know, uh, we just did our thing and and uh, seemed that everybody seemed to to come on board and eventually take notice. Yeah, absolutely. To step away from Prague, actually, for a second, you started a new band last year called The Winery Dogs, which was also amazing, and kind of went in a little bit of a different direction, and that also was a success. So how's that been? You were just on tour. How's that all going? The Winery Dogs has been uh, an amazing success so far. I mean, really, so far, it's really 
gone way beyond uh, any of our expectations. It's been so universally embraced, uh, you know, by the audiences, by the critics, uh, even at radio. You know, we've gotten some some mainstream radio play as well, and uh, you know, so it's really been amazing. Um, uh, but that, you know, I guess the you know the focus of this conversation is on Prague and everything. So I should you know say that the Winery Dogs for me is such a, a refreshing change of pace from Prague, and of course doesn't mean I turn my back on Prague. I will always be doing progressive stuff, and I'm still doing transatlantic and still doing the Progressive Nation cruise. But the winery jokes for me is a refreshing change of pace, which is something I, you know, was really looking for after so many years of doing, you know, strictly progressive or progressive-oriented music. Uh, so the winery jokes is just a real refreshing change of pace from that. Um, but I'm still, I'm still carrying that broad flag. Uh, <laughs> As loud and proud as, as I ever have with, with everything else I do. Well, that's a good segue to the Prague Cruise, which is the real big event you put together uh, for February out of uh, out of Miami with just a slew of amazing Prague bands. Um, how long was that in the works, and how'd that come together? Well, the, the roots of it began when I had the original idea for Progressive Nation back in uh, 2008 was the first time I put that together, and... and uh, while in Dream Theater, I, I put together three Progressive Nation tours, two in America and one in Europe. And, you know, that was my baby. It was my, my child and, you know, something like, it's just a concept that I had to do a touring package that focused on progressive music. Because you had the Ozfest and the Lollapaloozas and, and, you know, all these other, you know, Uproar Tour and Mayhem Festival, but there was nothing for Prague. So I always wanted to do that. That's why I came up with Progressive Nation. And after three of those tours, uh, you know, after I left Dream Theater, I, you know, I, I, after taking a break for a couple of years from doing Progressive Nation, I've been kind of itching to resurrect it. And uh, last year, Derek Sherman came to me with the idea of doing a cruise, uh, and you know, something he wanted to get involved with, uh, you know, on a business level. And, and he suggested the idea to me of doing a prog cruise. And I was like, you know what? I, I've been wanting to resurrect Progressive Nation. This is a perfect idea. Let's put the two ideas together and we'll do a, rather than a, you know, six-week tour with four bands, let's do a five-day cruise with like, you know, 20-something bands. So that's where the idea came from. It was kind of Derek's business sense and my kind of creative sense. And we put the ideas together and uh, I put together a wish list of, you know, 30-something bands that I would love to see on something like this and uh i was able to uh get 23 of them on board and it's it's just the most unbelievable dream lineup i could have ever put together i'm currently sitting here right now doing the scheduling and for the different stages you know we have four different stages over four days and i'm just looking at this roster and it's just blowing my mind it's like oh my god i mean it's like every one of these bands are like a favorite band of mine it's it's just such a dream lineup it really is. One of the questions I meant to ask you was, how is that going to be scheduled? How do you plan uh, so that someone wants to see Haken but doesn't have to miss Spock's beard or something? Right. That's, uh, that's the jigsaw puzzle I'm dealing with at the moment. And uh, it's one of those things. It's like when I was in Dream Theater and I used to try to always write a different set list for every show. And I would spend days like trying to solve like the ultimate Sudoku puzzle, <laughs> you know, doing the set list in those days, and now I'm finding the same, you know, the same uh, challenge with uh, coming up with the, the schedule for Progressive Nation at Sea. 
uh, it's it's tough. I'm sitting here with, with all these papers in front of me, and I have four different stages to work with over the course of four days, and everything plays twice over the course of the cruise. Uh, I'm doing my best to try to make it all work so everybody could see everybody, uh, but it's taking some juggling, you know, uh, right. and I want to keep the stages kind of... Um, kind of uh, genre-friendly as well. So, like, you know, uh, you can have, uh, you know, kind of the shant-oriented bands like Safety Fire and Periphery and Animals as Leaders, maybe, you know, in one area, and then you can have the more kind of retro bands like Beardfish and Flower Kings and Haken on another stage. And, you know, it, it's just like a big, giant puzzle. But, yeah, I, I, like the fans, am also going to want to see every band. So I'm doing my best to try to so everybody can see everybody at one point or another. What about how the bands manage bringing all their gear? You almost need another cruise ship for all the, you know, amps and right. guitars. So, <clears throat> well, the only way the only way something like this could work is everybody's got to be cooperative. It's like a festival when you go see, uh, you know, any of these big festivals that happen in, in Europe or, or whatever, sweet rock festival or uh, you know, grass pop. They have all these festivals and you have all these bands and everybody's got to be flexible you know you can't obviously all the bands can't sound check uh, right. all the bands have to deal with a lot of uh, you know supplied or shared gear you know that's just the reality of it you know we're right. talking about a, a ship <laughs> so yeah. there's no way of getting 23 bands full back line on so everybody kind of has to work together and do their best to to be as flexible as possible and it's the same when you do these festivals you know when you play download or grass pop or or any of these rockin' Rios, you know, nobody's getting the soundtrack. you got to get up there and just do your best with what you're given. And, and, you know, I think every band that's playing has, has been in that situation before, so I think we all know how to, how to deal with that and, and make the best of it. What about the other sort of special events that might be happening, signings or autograph sessions or, you know, things like that? Is that planned as well? Absolutely. Every band has at least one sort of... Uh, special events uh, worked into their schedule, whether it be a signing or a meet and greet or a question and answer or a storyteller's set or a special acoustic set or a clinic. All of those things are going to be happening on board, and that's just uh, another piece of the puzzle with the scheduling. But that sort of stuff is kind of usually done earlier in the day on, on the smaller stages. Right. That's really cool stuff, too. Um, you must be thrilled to have your son's band as well on there. Absolutely, having having next to none on board is something I'm real excited about, real proud of, real proud of, and uh, they're a great band and they're great up and coming musicians. And uh, you know, all I could do is give them the opportunity, but it's theirs to you know to run with it and do the best with that opportunity. And uh, they're learning a more prog oriented set. Uh, you know, I won't give away what they're playing, but right. uh, you know, they're they're learning some of the more progressive oriented covers, and they have some new songs that they've been writing that are very progressive, almost dream theater-esque in their own way. So uh, I think uh, they're a good example of, of young up-and-coming musicians that uh, are going to carry the flag for the next generation. More importantly, probably for you, is there any time you've scheduled in for yourself to relax? I just had this conversation with my wife yesterday because my, my whole family's going to be on board, and she's watching me do the scheduling, and she came to the realization, like, oh, my God, this isn't going to be a vacation. I'm not going to be hanging out and going to the beach with you. I'm like, no, hon, this, uh, I'm actually you know, playing with three different bands that means six performances, and I'm overseeing the whole process. So I said, hon, this is your vacation, but I'm working. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, I'm going to have to do another cruise with her another time for a vacation. Right, yeah, a vacation actually, from the vacation. Exactly. I'm actually doing six performances, and that's been another challenge, is trying to schedule, you know, the people that are doubling up. I have to make sure that I could, you know, schedule all my things, and people like Daniel Gildenlow is doubling up from Transatlantic and Pain of Salvation, and Royna is doubling up with Flower Kings and Transatlantic, and then... You have people, you know, there's a lot of overlapping artists as well, so that's been another challenge in scheduling. Right, and uh, the headline act, of course, being Transatlantic. Can we expect a lot from the new album, right? Because it's going to be uh, out already at the time, I believe? Yeah, uh, actually, my idea, and I haven't uh, I haven't told the rest of the band this yet, but uh, my, my idea was to open the entire cruise with Transatlantic performing the new album in its entirety, and then closing the entire cruise uh, doing stuff from the past and then the big uh, encore uh, with John Anderson singing of Yes Classics. So uh, that's my idea. Is basically, Transatlantic will open and close the cruise uh, with two very special sets. That would be amazing. So how has the new Transatlantic been going and the recording? I guess we spoke with Royna uh, about a few weeks ago and he said you guys just got back the masters. Or is, it, is that right? Yeah, it's completely finished and mastered and delivered and uh, in production now. So, yeah, we're real excited about it. Very cool. How was uh, writing and recording this album different than, let's say, The Whirlwind or the or the previous albums? How was it different? Well, I mean, the first Transatlantic album was like the blind date. You know, uh, we were all working together for the first time, so that had that energy going for it. Uh, the second album, Bridge Across Forever, uh, that was fun because that was our first time making a record having already made a record together and having played live shows together so there was a little um, chemistry already built in at that point then the whirlwind was unique because it was coming off of an eight year hiatus so that was like a big reunion <laughs> and now here we are with the fourth album Kaleidoscope and I would say this is just a culmination of all of those things you know now here we are uh, 14 years into a uh, into our career together, you know, I guess Transatlantic at this point is no longer a, a side project, you know, it's it's our fourth album over the course of three different decades, um, you know, I guess at this point it's a real band, so it's just the next chapter of what we're doing, and, and we, we did what we do best, which is make these big, giant prog epics with a little bit of all four of us in it, and, uh, you know, we're incredibly proud of it, and, uh, you know, I still stand by the fact that I think uh, the transatlantic music is amongst the best I've ever made in, in my entire catalog and some of the stuff I'm most proud of in my entire catalog. It's really great and even going back from the first record you forget that it was so long ago when it came out. I remember getting it and thinking this is like a lot of my favorite musicians together and it's incredible and then here it is you know 15 years later like you said so that's that's really awesome. You've been with Neil Morrison, so many bands and so many albums now. Is it just a matter of fact, like a new project comes along, you're going to call Neil or he's going to call you? Or what? what is it about that relationship that makes it so easy for you guys to work together? Neil and I just have such a, an amazing chemistry. And, and I, I have to go on record saying that it, it's probably he's probably my greatest working partner of all time. You know, I guess you'd have to say John Petrucci and John Mayung you know, and the Dream Theater guys would have to be up there as well. But at this point, I've made more records with Neil than I <laughs> right. even did with Dream Theater. It's yeah, crazy. I guess so, yeah. So really, so Neil and I's history is so deep. You know, we play in four bands together, um, his band, and then Flying Colors, and then Transatlantic, and then our Beatles cover band, Yellow Matter Custard. 
and we've made, I think, 15 albums together, and wow. we just have such a great, deep connection on a musical level and the personal level, and he's so easy to work with musically. I mean, we just have a real synergy and a real connection and a real respect for each other. Uh, I think we're both each other's biggest fans. Uh, so when it comes to making music together, there's never an issue. It's always easy. It's always fun. And we have a, a, a deep personal uh, relationship that, that, you know, he's probably one of the closest people in my life other than, you know, my wife. You know, he's somebody that I, I can call up if, I've, if I'm struggling with something. And he's just got such a great positive energy. And, you know, his, his whole spiritual side is a, a real uh, inspiration and, and has been a, a, a true blessing to have in my life as well that's incredible when, how's that for an endorsement that is a, <laughs> <laughs> listen I, I'll just say as well that uh, you know when I discovered the Spock's beard stuff um, I'll probably also around the transatlantic period maybe a little bit before I was aware of Spock's beard before transatlantic it blew, blew me away and at the time I was already a big dream theater fan and between that band and dream theater and uh, that was almost the soundtrack of my last 15 20 years mm. you know and it's it, i appreciate that music that you guys do so much because it's for me it's absolutely my favorite stuff by well, far thank you. well i agree i mean taking myself out of the equation uh neil's music you know i i've always said he's my desert island artist and i happen to be on 15 or 16 of those albums or right, whatever, so easy but for you. Also <laughs> the stuff he's done he's, but even the stuff he did, you know, before me with Spock Spear, I mean, you know, he's he's one of my favorite songwriters and, and musicians of all time. When you guys work on, let's say, his solo stuff, as opposed to Transatlantic or Flying Colors, is it different in how the songwriting partnership works there with each one? Absolutely. There's absolutely a different chemistry for all three bands. I'll say three because Yellow Metacostrid is just a, a fun covers thing. But the three bands that Neil and I original bands that we do together, there's an absolute different chemistry for both of us. You know, um, in his band, obviously, it's his music, and I'm there to serve his needs and his vision, um, and he's running the show, and he's writing the music. Uh, in Sands Atlantic, we're kind of co-captains. You know, he, he and I were the ones that put it together, and he and I have a, um, you know, a very equal um, level of, country, you know, of, of creative direction and input, along with Roy and Pete as well. Um, and then with uh, Flying Colors, I think he and I are more supportive uh, roles to more of like Casey's voice and also uh, Steve's strong musical um, contributions. So, you know, he and I really have learned to play different roles and have a different chemistry in the three bands. And it's funny, too, I gave a joke recently with him that... Uh, even on stage, we're set up differently. Like I said, you know, when I'm playing with his band, I'm directly behind him. When Transatlantic cuts the stage directly at him, and then with Flying Colors, he and I are both sharing the back of the stage. So it's really funny that we even have, you know, visually different placements in each of those bands as well. I did notice that, but you're right. That's totally fitting. That's funny. You just played uh, Israel with him uh, and his band uh, a few months ago. Mm -hmm. how, was, uh, how was that? It was amazing. Um, yeah, we did uh, uh, a bunch of shows in Poland, Greece, and Israel. But I think Israel in particular was really uh, more for him because so much of what he's singing about is, is you know, Christian-oriented and about Jesus and about the things that come out of the Bible and the scriptures and things like that. 
So I know for him to be singing about that stuff in the land where most of that took place, uh, you know, I know he, he and the band guys uh, went out sightseeing and they went to Jerusalem and, you know, and went through Tel Aviv and went, did all the sightseeing in all those places. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not, well, um, I, I'm not a historian or, or a Christian, so, you know, that stuff really didn't mean as much to me, but I know <laughs> right. for him and the rest of the guys in the band that are Christians, it was a, a really amazing thing for them to experience and to be playing a show, you know, in that land was, was pretty surreal. Yeah, pretty amazing. The Flying Colors band, I understand, is also getting together to record uh, pretty soon? Yeah, we actually started, uh, we did one session back in May and, and got the ball rolling for another album, and, and at that session we wrote and recorded uh, four songs already, so that's already uh, up and running, just waiting to be uh, continued, and it looks like next month, uh, in December, we're going to actually do a, the next session and, and continue uh you know, moving forward with the the next record. The problem with uh, Flying Colors is that everybody's schedules are so busy, especially Steve's with Deep Purple, right. and, uh, you know, he's kind of at the mercy of Deep Purple's schedule. It's not like he can really control them. So uh, he, we have to kind of work around their schedule, and then you have my schedule, and Casey's with Alpha Rev. So, it, you know, it's been like a scheduling uh, challenge for Flying Colors, but it looks like we're going to continue work on the uh, follow-up album next month and we'll see how far we get and hopefully we can get it out by the end of 2014 if if uh if all goes as as we hope yeah that was another amazing album and and a little bit um sort of writing the line between pop and prog is that going to be sort of the same direction for this new record yeah i mean you know the whole idea is to have that different flavor you know neil and i neil and i already have the big prog epic stuff between Transatlantic and his solo material. So the purpose of Flying Colors is to, to give us a very, very different direction. And, and Casey is a big, big part of that direction. And uh, I just love Casey's, uh, you know, the fact that he's coming from a much different world. He's coming from that Radiohead kind of Coldplay kind of U2 world. And, um, you know, it's fun to play in his playground uh, when we do Flying Colors. And then, of course, not to forget about, you know, Steve Morse and Dave LaRue's incredible contributions and incredible musicality. So, uh, you know, that's what Flying Colors is about. It's about a whole other kind of side of what we all do. Going real quick, just back to when you write with Neil Morse and the Prague Epic stuff, how do those long epic songs come about when when you get into the 20 or 30 minutes? Is it just they just kind of roll kind of easily or do you sit and plan, OK, these ideas, I think this is good for that long epic. Let's try and outdo ourselves. Let's go 35 minutes. Let's do, you know, how does how do you decide on that stuff? You know, to be honest, it's not a conscious thing like we say, oh, we have to have a 30 minute song. You know, it's just the way we naturally write, you know, right. when you're writing true prog music, you don't have limitations. You take the clock off the wall and you just write. And luckily that luckily I come from that background and Neil comes from that background and Royna comes from that background as well. You know, a lot of the Flower Kings material is the same as well. So, you know, when we get together, that's just the way we naturally write. You know, Royna writes like that with Flower Kings and Neil wrote like that with Spock's Beard and I wrote like that with Dream Theater. It's just the way we naturally work. And, you know, you basically put the ideas onto the table, and, you know, you know, if you have a cool theme, it's like, okay, well, let's, you know, use this theme in the, in the overture, and then we'll revisit the theme in the middle, and 
we'll play it in a different key and a different tempo and we'll do it again at the end and you just have these, these big grand um, design ideas uh, you know and and it's just the way we naturally work I think we're just really at home and comfortable in that way of writing it must make it fun and, and very freeing to not have an agenda really uh, that this needs to be a hit single or this needs to you can just write and just wherever it goes it goes it is but you know the, the crazy thing about it all is, is as much as uh, you know we collectively have it, that big prog epic grand design Neil is the sort of songwriter that also writes these incredible three or four or five minute pop songs. He has that, that ability as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's something that Transatlantic also embraces. Like, you know, We All Need Some Light from the first album is still, amongst all of these big epics that we have, We All Need Some Light is still like a fan favorite and still like um, kind of like an anthem for Transatlantic. And, and the new album has a song called Shine, which will be the first. Uh, video that we put out, which is also in that vein. You know, it's not an epic. It's it's more of a sing-along anthem. And, and I think the best prog bands have always had that. I mean, if you look at Yes, Yes always had uh, Close to the Edge and Heart of the Sunrise and, and You and I, but they also, you know, had something like I've Seen All Good People or Owner of a Lonely Heart. Right. And I think yeah, the absolutely. Best, you know, you say the, th- say the same thing about Genesis or ELP. And I think all the best prog bands have had both sides. Yeah, I agree. Um, so just a, a couple more questions to wrap up here. Since you've uh, been out of Dream Theater, you seem like the busiest musician on the planet. How do you juggle everything and keep everything together and, and never really take a break? I'm just a, a natural workaholic, and I was always like that in Dream Theater. And even 25 years of Dream Theater, I was juggling 20 different roles within the band, you know, and just always working, 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 even when the other guys would go home and take time off. Um, so that's just my personality, and that's not by design. That's not something you can create. That's just you either are that or you aren't that, and I am that. And uh, <laughs> you know, now without Dream Theater and without having to manage twenty or twenty-five different things within one band, I'm able to just have a lot of different things going on, and uh, and I just enjoy it. You know, I have to keep working. That's what I wrote that song in Constant Motion about. You know, I'm just my. I have to. Constantly be doing something, whether it be winery dogs or transatlantic or flying colors or PSMS or progressive nation. You know, I just need to be constantly creative. Since Dream Theater, I'm able to just spread it across a lot of different things, you know, which is, which has been so satisfying to me. But um, it's not easy. <laughs> the scheduling and the juggling is difficult. That's the hard part. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's next after? The Transatlantic and the cruise for for next year, uh, different tours, more more recordings. What do I got? Well, uh, the year will start with a whole bunch of um, various things based around Nam, which is I'm doing like the metal the Metal Masters Five, which is a really cool thing I get to do with the guys from Anthrax and Slayer and Pantera and Megadeth. So I get to spread my 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 metal wings with those guys, uh, and I'm gonna do another Bonzo Bash, which is always a lot of fun. And then uh, the transatlantic activity begins, and, and the album comes out, and we're doing uh, a quick U.S. tour, a quick South American tour, and a quick European tour. And in the middle of that, we got the Progressive Nation at Sea Cruise, which is my baby and something I'm so unbelievably excited and proud, excited about and proud of. Ah, I, I can't wait for that. And then uh, by March, I guess I reconvene with the winery dogs, and, and then uh, winery dog activity will keep me busy throughout the spring and summer. 
and possibly the fall of the year. Uh, Going to be real busy with that again throughout 2014, and then. Uh, We'll see if by the end of the year, if the Flying Colors album has been completed, maybe that'll be coming out. <laughs> uh, there's also the Big Elf album coming out in February that I played on. So it looks to be another busy year for me. No letting up. I was at we uh, around the time of uh, like Scenes from a Memory and working there, and I met you a few times backstage at, at some shows. And uh, you're always really gracious and very nice. So I, I just wanted to say, um, you know, I always appreciated meeting you. It was always nice. And oh, um, thank you, man. Uh, thanks again for the interview. It was a pleasure and an honor to speak to you. And, and uh, good luck with everything and, and looking forward to the cruise, man. Me too. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. Take it easy. We're going to close with a track from Transatlantic off the whirlwind. The track set us free. Please check thepogreport.com for more news and upcoming interviews. Thanks. Thanks.